Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would stir even our own hearts as we hear your scriptures, as we hear your sermon. We ask that you would change us. Help us to be your people better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A man came home one time to discover that his wife had bought, for the family, a pet monkey. Uh, You bought a a monkey? Asked the man incredulously. He was so exasperated he didn't even know where to start. Where's this monkey going to sleep? In our bed with us, said the wife. But what about the smell and the snoring, asked the man. To which the wife simply responded, well, I got used to you. I guess the monkey can too. (laughs) But that's the problem, isn't it? It, It's so hard to see in ourselves what is so easy for us to see in others. We're, We're good at critiquing, condemning, criticizing others, you know, helping them. Strangely, we're equally good at excusing, exonerating, and justifying ourselves for the things that we might have done. What's more, I've been continually struck and and particularly challenged this year by my own culpability in everyone else's faults. I'll say that again because that sounded confusing. Uh, I've continually been struck by my own culpability in what's wrong with you. How often is is this person who is clearly wrong merely responding to what I just said or did? How often do I look for someone else's mistakes so that I can critique them well? How often does the way I'm seeing and treating someone fuel their mood and response that I then feel justified in judging? How often does my mood my hunger, my lack of sleep, pour gasoline onto the small spark of disagreement that's between us. Why is it that I can so clearly see their blunders, and yet for my own, I have blinders on? And yet, how often do I contribute to the very conflict I say I don't want? I wonder if you can relate. While we think about that, let me remind you where we are, because today we're starting to wrap up our our series studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been talking about, Jesus seems to be painting a picture of how we as Christians are supposed to live, and yet also how we are to be different, how we're to be distinct. We're not supposed to be like everyone else. Because, of course, as much as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount sounds like simple good news and common moral advice, the reality is that it's really difficult to live out. And yet, this is who He's calling us to become as disciples. We're called to be beatitude people, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, peacemakers, pure in heart. And we're called to live this out into the world, like like salt into a world that decays, like light into a world that feels dark. As such, we become a people who love our neighbors, and we love the stranger, and we love even our enemies. 
which leads to more generosity and more prayer and more fasting because, of course, we're going to need God to do something inside of us because it turns out I'm not that kind of person yet. And so we pray. And so we look to God for help as we strive to live as His disciples, as, as we strive to live these beatitudes, as we strive to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And so with all of that as kind of recap and background, let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 1. Today we begin the final or the chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened." Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. That all sounds right, but man, this is getting harder, isn't it? Today, Jesus seems to be starting a whole new section in his sermon, focusing a bit more on how we now relate to other people. And as he does, we acknowledge that this is where things get even more difficult, as if they haven't been hard enough already. And Jesus begins this section by simply telling us, don't judge. Which brings me to what I want us to talk about today. First, I want us to spend a bunch of time talking about the problem, the problem of judging. What is it? How do we understand it? And maybe even, why do we do it? What's, what's behind our judging? And then I want us to go back through this passage because I think Jesus is also offering us some tools and frameworks to help us better communicate and, and to actually learn how to judge less. So that's where we're going. Let's talk about judging and then let's talk about how maybe we don't need to do it quite so much. Alas, we do need to start with the hard part. Remember, Jesus has been calling us as disciples to be different, to be distinct, and that's important, but it comes with a danger too. Because when we are separate, when we are special, it can become very easy for us to then judge others, judge outsiders, judge each other. 
Because let's face it, it's hard for anyone to live up to our standards and expectations. And so we judge. And so Jesus says, don't judge. I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing that. I don't like being told not to judge. In fact, it almost feels a little bit judgmental, I got to tell you, for, for someone to tell me not to judge. I mean, I'm a pastor after all. I, I know better. I have a better perspective. I have a more nuanced view. I am more selfless. Who but me should judge? I mean, who does he think he is? Oh, that's right. Uh, to be fair, he's not giving bad advice for you. Uh, you shouldn't judge. Let's face it, you don't always make the best decisions. You are sometimes hypocritical, condescending, even unhelpful. Uh, sometimes you blame others and you let yourself off the hook. Plus, if we're being honest here, uh, you can be a little bit selfish and greedy and short-sighted, not to mention corrupt and contemptible, and sometimes you're even wrong. To which, again, Jesus, I think, says, you're doing it again. Stop it. But you see the problem. You probably experience the problem pretty regularly because we often judge. It just happens all the time. And Jesus says, stop. But hang on a second. Can, can someone not judge? Is, is that even possible? I mean, isn't this part of what separates us from the rest of creation, that we can declare something to be good and bad, something is right, something is wrong, this is worse, that is better? I mean, isn't judging just a different word for discernment, evaluation, thinking, wisdom? Aren't those all good things? I mean, what are we even talking about when we're, we're talking about judging? And yet we sure can feel the difference when we're on the receiving end. Judging isn't neutral. Judging isn't fair. Judging isn't comfortable. Because, of course, judging when it's in the context of relationships, implies criticism, it, it implies critiquing, it, it implies even contempt. You aren't doing it right, you don't have what it takes, you aren't enough, and you are wrong. When we, when we talk about judging in the context of relationship, it's not like a, a professional judge, a neutral third party, if you will, where we're trying to assess what's right and what's wrong. Instead, the kind of judging that Jesus is warning us against has a clear negative connotation. It's not that I'm evaluating you and you could end up good. It's that I'm evaluating you looking for further evidence that you're not, which is the problem. At its simplest, judging is evaluating someone else negatively, keeping them at arm's length. But there's a deeper problem here which we find when we start asking the questions, why, why do we judge? Why, why do I judge? When you're judging someone else or another group maybe, what are you really trying to do? What are you hoping for? What are you hoping to change? And if you're like me, then you might conclude that part of the reason that you're maybe being a little judgmental is not because you're hoping that you will change, you're hoping that the other person will change. Furthermore, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to 
I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm hoping to feel a little bit justified. I'm hoping to try and restore some order. Something has gotten out of whack, and, and I'm, I'm judging you a little bit to try and restore that order. Uh, of course, I I'm, I'm, might be trying to be right. I, I might be looking for some kind of moral superiority. I'm definitely trying to feel back in control again. Of course, when you say all that like that, it starts to feel rather small, doesn't it? Often I'm judging you so that I'll feel better. The real problem here, I think, if we're being honest, is that I, I like judging. I like feeling superior. I like feeling right. I like feeling justified. I like being in control. But maybe the biggest problem of judging others, of looking for problems in others, of criticizing others, is that we become unable to see our part in the conflict, not to mention our own shortcomings. Because as long as you are the problem, then I'm not. As long as we can focus on your issues, we don't have to acknowledge that I have any. As long as your reaction is always worse than mine, then I don't have to try and figure out how I might have played a part. As long as you are the one to blame, then I can keep myself in the judge's seat and I can keep myself feeling like I'm above you. In some ways, I think that this is why we are always judging others. Because it makes us feel better. Because it makes us feel like we are in some level of control. And Jesus says, don't judge. So what do we do? Maybe our passage has some hints. What if the rest of this passage is actually Jesus trying to give us some tools and frameworks for thinking about all of this differently? And I found like five or six different pieces in this passage that may help with our judgmental spirits. Man, even saying it that way, judgmental spirits, if you're like me... Like, not my problem, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. There's a, your hackles get up. But I think Jesus is trying to help here. We start with the easiest part, and that's simply that we, we don't want to be judged either. One of the ways that we maybe can work at not judging others is by recognizing I, I don't want to be judged too. The reality is that we tend to be very judgmental towards people who judge us, which is ironic, if not a bit hypocritical, and yet also makes sense. If you were to think about a time that you were being judged, that you felt judged, if you didn't just shut down, you probably wanted to hit back a little bit. You probably got a little bit defensive. You probably got a little bit offensive. And therefore, since no one wants to feel judged, maybe we need to do a better job of not being the ones who judge others. That might be a, a trick. I don't want to be judged, and so maybe I need to stop judging you quite so much. Maybe an even better way to slow our judgment is Jesus' image of the, the speck in the plank in our respective eyes. It's funny, a, a lot of commentators and pastors con conclude that the person with the speck doesn't need your help as much as you think, or you can't help someone else until you simply remove the plank from your own eye, which is easy, and once you've done that, then you can, then you can go to work. Uh, and, and that's true enough. 
But clearly, someone with something in their eye does need help. And clearly, getting a plank out of your own eye isn't easy or simply a one-time thing. Which maybe means that the real lesson here is to always assume the plank. Even if you've you know, spent a lifetime pulling planks out of your eye, it's weird that there's that many in there, but maybe that's the assumption. Maybe Jesus is telling us to always assume that you are more at fault than you think. You are always more far gone than the other person. That you actually need more help than they do. Maybe what Jesus is really trying to tell us here is, blessed are the meek. Maybe he's lifting up humility here. Maybe part of how we don't judge is by recognizing our own poverty of spirit, which ironically may actually make your help actually helpful. But wait, there's more, because then Jesus starts talking about pearls and pigs, which is odd. Of course, the issue here is that pearls just aren't helpful to pigs. Uh, much like unwanted and unlooked-for advice or feedback or critique, it's a lot like throwing pearls to pig. It's unhelpful, it's often unwelcomed, because quite simply, people, well, pigs in this case, aren't able to digest pearls, and people aren't often able to digest feedback and critique when it's not wanted. And maybe that's a helpful thing to remember. Do they want your help in the first place. But of course, if we really want to be less judgmental, it's going to take something a lot bigger than we have. It's going to take prayer. If we want to help a relationship, it's going to take prayer. If we want to change others, it's going to take prayer. If we want to change our own hearts, it's going to take prayer. Maybe it's really helpful for us to notice that Jesus' instructions to ask and seek and knock come in the context of relationship, of treating others better. So often when we hear this verse, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given, shown, uh, opened. Uh, so often when we hear that, we just we think about it as prayer all by itself. It's, we kind of pull that verse right out of context. We stick it on a on a poster or something, and we think that's what he, that's just a generic teaching on prayer, as if Jesus kind of lost his thread in the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, uh, uh, prayer, it's awesome. Ask, seek, knock, and then he goes right back to relationship right after that. But what if? This is specifically talking about all of this. What if this is ask, seek, and knock? What if that's specifically in the context of relationship and conflict and judgment? As much as this may be just about prayer in general, I am so struck by the context here. Don't judge. Go easy with the other person because of the plank in your own eye. And then ask, seek, and knock. And then right into a section on giving good gifts and the golden rule. Again, relational. What if Jesus isn't saying that if you pray right, you'll always get whatever you want, but what if instead He's saying, all of this is hard. People are hard. Relationships are hard. So pray. Ask on their behalf. Seek for them. 
knock on their behalf. And God will give good gifts. What if it's not about you? What if asking and seeking and knocking are for them, those people? What if it's our prayer for others that then helps us judge less? What if it's prayer that moves our hearts so that we can move closer to the ones we judge? Then Jesus wraps the whole section up by putting the golden rule right there at the end. But he does this, I think, by also trying to give us another metric, another tool against our judging. He says, do to others what you would have them do to you. First things first, it's important we notice that Jesus puts this in the positive, in the proactive. You can also do it in the negative. And a lot of people did back then. Hillel uh, and others said things like, don't do to others what is hateful to you. And while I think it lacks a certain poetry, it sounds the same. And yet notice how much lower that bar is when you put it into the negative. Don't do what's hateful to you. That, that's simply saying, I won't mess with you, you don't, if you don't mess with me. Uh, you stay out of my business, I'll stay out of your business. As long as it's not hateful, it's fine. This is all about the bare minimum, common decency. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, look at that other person over there. How do you want them to treat you? How do you want them to view you? How do you want them to judge you? Now go and do that for them. Again, this isn't just for the people we know or the people we like or the people we already care about. This is also for those people who we are quick to judge, the people we don't know, the people we don't like. If I were in their shoes, what would I want me to do? And then that's what I'm supposed to do, which is so much harder. I prefer the negative way. I prefer this in the negative because then I don't have to do much as long as I'm not being mean. Jesus' thing seems to be if there's anything good that you can do for them, if you would want that done to you, that's, that's the bar. And yet notice how this changes our spirit from a judgmental one to one that is more gracious. So this brings me back to one more means of maybe reducing our judgmentalism. And it was hidden back earlier in the passage. When Jesus is talking about specks and planks, he refers to these other people, those other people, as brothers and sisters. Despite their wrongness, despite their mistakes, despite their foreignness, because when Jesus talks about specks and planks, he doesn't just say it's some random guy's eye. He says it's your brothers. And maybe Jesus is being intentional about that. Because things change when we're able to see others as family. Not least because we have to learn to live with some differences and disagreements. But we also tend to extend extra grace to brothers and sisters, because we're connected, because 
we're invested in each other's lives because we're family. I wonder how we'd be different if we simply were able to see others more as brothers and sisters. I wonder if it would cause us to judge less. I said it when we started the Sermon on the Mount, and I will say it again, this sermon is hard. It's not hard to understand, but it's so hard to live. But again, I think that, like that first week, drives us back to the beginning. As we remember, we are poor in spirit. And as such, we are recipients of God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's grace, which may ultimately be the only way that we learn to judge less. Because as I recognize my own faults and just how merciful God has been and continues to need, needs to be, it makes it just a little bit harder for me to judge you quite so hard. Because if Jesus could forgive me, maybe I can forgive you. If Jesus could love even me, maybe I can work to love you. If Jesus died for me, maybe I can live for you. And if Jesus still reigns, maybe I don't have to. Which means maybe I can do a better job of judging less. If you would join me in prayer. Gracious God, we are a people prone to judge. It's automatic. It's easy. And yet you call us toward a different way. You call us to be different. You call us to forgive. You call us to be merciful. You call us to love better. We're going to need your help. We're going to need you to do something in our hearts that we might be changed. And so we pray that you would help us look to Jesus, that we might recognize how much He's forgiven us, how much He's done for us, how much He loves us. And as we see that, that He could have judged us and instead He died for us, we pray that we would be changed. It's in His name we pray all these things. Amen.